What's up, everyone, and welcome to The Corporate Bartender. I think you're going to dig today's episode. We're talking remote workforces, building a people-first culture, make-versus-buy decisions on talent, and keeping folks accountable in this ever-changing landscape. We are jazzed to have Mike Crass on the show today. If you don't know Mike, you're missing out. You should probably get on that. Mike's the CEO of a fully remote digital marketing agency that bases its success on leveraging a data-driven approach. He's a firm believer in having a life outside of work, taking time to give back to your communities, and he might have taken your luggage at some point. So buckle up, TC Beers, grab your favorite cocktail, and let's get right on into it with Mike Crass on today's TCB. Welcome to Sky Team's The Corporate Bartender. If you work in HR or make people decisions in your organization, this is the place to be. Now pull up a stool, belly up to the bar, and join us for The Corporate Bartender. It is good to see everybody, as always. It's Wednesday. It's Corporate Bartender Day. That's my favorite day. Today is episode 95, July 14th. It's officially half of July is done, which means... We are pretty much halfway through 2021. I was on a call yesterday and and the client kept talking about things that we were planning to do next year in 2021. And I'm like, oh, uh, yeah. dude, it's 22, <laughs> man. He's like, damn it. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, today's going to be a good day. We've got a special guest today. We've got Mike Crass with us today. Say hey, Mike, to everybody. Woo! <laughs> um, we're going to be talking about leading remote employees and embodying a people-first philosophy. Um, Lori Freemeyer just chatted in. How come all the girls have glasses on and the guys don't? <laughs> Good point. There you go. Does that make you feel better? Yeah. <laughs> now I just feel left out. <laughs> <laughs> No, Mike, you're just younger than we are. That's all. Unique. Unique. Enjoy that good vision while you can. Yeah, right? Look at everything you can. <laughs> oh, so a couple of quick news articles, and then we'll jump right on in. Um, I pulled a couple of things related to, um, to managing remote employees. This first article here is actually from last summer, but I thought it was still relevant Remote managers are having trust issues. You know, this is one of the things that we talk about uh, a lot with clients around managing remote employees and uh, especially younger or more green managers. They they have they have some trust issues. It also isn't uh, isn't strange to uh, to older managers as, as well. I used to work with uh, with a pretty classical leader to say. Um, and she was of the mindset that if your butt wasn't in the seat, then you weren't working. And uh, she also was pretty picky about when your butt was in that seat. And I, I remember we hired, we hired a, a, a kid straight out of school. It was his first job. He was a developer. It was a software company. And uh, I, was, I was the HR guy. And I, I had to talk to him about his tardiness one day. And because uh, he had been, he'd been kind of drifting, you know, started showing up in his first week. It was eight o'clock and then it was eight ten, and it was eight thirty, and then it was nine. And uh, he said, I'll never forget it. He, he looked at me and, and this leader and he goes, what is it with you people and 8 a.m.? Is it a special time? He's like. I don't work my best at 8 a.m. And actually, you don't really don't want me here at 8 a.m. Because at 11.30 p.m., I'm killing it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just that if I don't see you, I don't trust you kind of, of mindset, which, uh, you know, is, it has, been, has been a problem since pre-COVID. But I think as we settle into this hybrid space, you know, it's, it's still rearing its head. You guys dealing with any of that sort of trust issues with managers at the at the lower levels? Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Karen, how about you? You got a bunch of of lower level managers, yeah? Yeah, you know, it's been interesting um, getting the the call center, the contact center employees um, working remote from home a year ago. There was a lot of worry about it. 
in the end, they've turned out to be far more productive working from home than in the office. The interesting thing is we're running a back to work pilot right now. And um, we thought we'd have a lot more participation. Um, in people that uh, wanted to come back? Yeah, like yeah, like 20% <laughs> wanted to give it a shot and we wanted to test drive and see how it would go. And uh, we've ended up having about 5% of that 20% <laughs> shown up. So I think it was like the, the initial curiosity, what's it gonna feel like? I wanna go back in a couple of days and then, eh, okay, I'm good now. I can just work from home again. But we're looking at the fall. And one of the things that's interesting is we have a CEO that is very, um, uh, so far been very flexible and said to all of his senior most leaders, decide what you want it to look like for your respective organizations. Ooh, team level, want. I love that. Yeah, a couple of days a week in the office, great. You want full-time in the office, that's your prerogative, whatever you wanna do. And the interesting thing is that our head of EP&D, which is engineering product design, is um, super nervous about the engineers that are new and fresh out of school or maybe fairly inexperienced and not having that collaboration time in the office. And so there's a lot of conversation around that. Now, I don't, gratefully, I don't support that group. So like, or my team doesn't, so it's not, <laughs> that is um, I've got a little easier path, but um, I think a challenge for sure. And, and he, but he's also one of those leaders that doesn't really trust. Like, it's like, come on, dude, they've been working from home for a year. Everybody's yeah. fine. Like, right. you know, would it be nice to be in, be collaborative? But I guarantee you, we are going to lose people if we don't extend that flexibility because they're running for the hills. There are so many jobs out there. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yep. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, we, we talk about it just about every week here in some capacity, the return to work thing, because, you know, now we got a lot, <clears throat> a lot more people that are actually starting to step into it, you know, and it's funny what you described, Karen, in your experience with the 5% of the 20%. Yeah. Um, if you remember last summer, <clears throat> Jenny Levy at Crocs, when she was coming all the time, they started their program last summer because they have factory floor and warehousing and right, mm -hmm. they, they can't do it all remote. So they did a similar pilot with their office staff. Um, and yeah, the first week people came in, looked around, checked it out and then said, yeah, I'm good. I'm going to go home now. And yeah. I, I think that's kind of where it stands. Yeah. Yeah. So trust issues, it's a thing. And another issue that's, that's been a thing perpetually since, since we started talking about this is burnout. Mm -hmm. You know, your, your point, Karen, that the, folks were more productive at home. You know, it's the research has pointed to it time and time again, people work more, right? They're driving less, they're, they're they have less sort of hang out and hover by somebody's desk, uh, go to lunch, be late coming back, go to happy hour, right? They just work and, and the burnout is, is real. And it's a, it's a thing that I think managers really need to be checked in on in terms of of making sure that they actually know where their folks are in that regard um and that's that's a proactive choice right i i don't i don't know that employees are are really uh, anxious to step up to the plate and say yeah i'm i'm pretty close to the to the edge here mm -hmm. um but getting that that direct conversation happening um i think is is pretty important in the article they pointed to three three uh tactics one was proactively check on your employees, um, offer flexible work arrangements, not just remote, right? It's the time bit, you know, how, how asynchronous, asynchronous is asynchronous, right? If I'm doing my work, you know, maybe in the afternoon stroke evening, because I've got family obligations in the morning, am I obligated to respond to your Slack message at nine 30 or do I get to respond to it when I get to work? Um, and then, um, Finally, making sure that that remote folks actually do take some recovery time. They actually take vacation. They step away from the computer. And I think that's that's a big one. Um, you know, through through the pandemic, I, I didn't take any time off. I worked all I worked the whole time. Right. Um, <laughs> Ruby says we are burning out, too, as organizational leaders. That's true. That's true. And, and if you guys remember, that's one of the reasons we we started this little community was just to give ourselves a little respite from trying to push the wet noodle uphill um, and share some best practices, hang out, laugh a little, right? 
So fortunately, Laurel's here, so the dirty jokes can start now. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, there, she, there she is. Welcome. Hey, I, I was, sunshine. <laughs> I was going to wave to you, but... Uh, <laughs> But I got the message that the recording was on, so, you know. Yeah. I'll just share with you that I was late because my dog decided to throw up on the rug right next to me. Perfect. Perfect. You didn't want to smell that for the next hour. That's a good call. Yeah. <laughs> this, this last article I pulled um, actually is in Fast Company today. It says, try this brain-based leadership model to collaborate and influence others. And, Ruby, it's the scarf model. Oh, that we that's... taught yesterday. Oh, that's funny. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was interesting. And, and basically they were sort of twisting it a little bit to, to use as a framework for dealing with uh, collaborating and influencing remote folks. Um, mm -hmm. I thought the, the, the idea in it, the, the way the guy characterized it, the author, he said the brain experiences the workplace foremost as a social system, which is true, right? I mean, it, we, we, we base the, how we do our work on the folks that we have to interact with and the processes that require us to interact with people. Um, so it's talking about getting people to bring their best selves to work. And so in order to do that, you, you minimize these threats to, to the, the scarf components um, and maximize the rewards. So does anybody use scarf in your leadership development? I know Yvonne, you do. <laughs> yeah, I do a, a tools like of we influence. Do. <laughs> I do a tools of influence training and I've kind of swapped out different. I've used Cialdini's stuff and I've used scarf and I've used so you know a variety of different things, but I, I really do like this the scarf framework. Um just because it, I think it's really relatable. People can see how to apply it in different ways. And so, yeah, I'll be curious to read this one about how it applies to this whole dynamic of hybrid or remote. Yeah. Leadership. One of the cool, one of the cool things about scarf Ruby and I did yesterday for, for Yvonne's organization um, was we, we sort of overlaid uh, disc preferences on top mm -hmm. of the different um, of the different scarf pillars. Right. So, mm -hmm. You know, for like relatedness, for folks whose whose uh, threats get triggered around relatedness, right? That's a pronounced issue for folks on the right side of the disc diagram, right? The folks with the people focus. Um, you know, certainty is is the bottom half of the disc model. S's and C's would be more triggered by a lack of certainty. You know, Ruby and I told a story about when when the pandemic hit and nothing was certain. Uh, you know, Morag, who's an ID, went into super idea generation mode. And Ruby and I went into, holy shit, what are we going to do? <laughs> Nothing's staying the same. <laughs> and then when she would throw her ideas over the wall, we would go, ha, ah, I can't even process that right now. <laughs> because her way of coping with it was generating those ideas and convincing herself that there was a path. Mm -hmm. through the uncertainty uh our <laughs> our primary need at that point in time was finding toilet paper and chicken <laughs> right I, I remember going out for toilet paper and i had morag texting me different places she would call and they would have it and then i would go there and it would be gone <laughs> and then she's like oh and by the way while you're on your way to Office Depot to buy toilet paper, right? Um, think about this business idea that's 180 degrees from what we were doing last week. I'm like, I just need toilet paper right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ruby, thanks for dropping in the, the acronym mm. definition of the scarf pillars there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, look at her. She... <laughs> Ruby's just, edu she's educating you guys with every <laughs> click. So just a few things to think about in terms of, of managing remote employees. I, I would love to hear, as always, as you guys are rolling out your plans, what's working, 
what's not working? Are you having experiences like Karen where you say, hey, we're going to try it with this group of people. And then that group of people goes, "Mm, I'm okay right now. Um, That would be interesting for us to hear. We're we're sort of collecting data on that because our clients are all asking us, what are other people doing and how's it going for them? So any insight you can provide would be awesome. But we're going to jump into the conversation with Mike, <clears throat> Mike Crass. He, uh, he's our guest here from New Orleans, Louisiana. He's the CEO of MKG Marketing. And uh, Mike, Mike's a, a marketing guy. He's a data guy. He has built a, a seven-figure marketing business um, that is 100% remote. Um, so Mike has ideas about leading remote employees and building what he calls a people first culture. So we'll talk about that. Everybody welcome Mike to the program. Hey, Mike. Oh, sound effects. I love it. Thank you, Eric. (laughs) Yeah. So Mike, welcome. Um, tell us just kind of give the crew here an overview of your career journey uh, how you got to where you are today, and include any weird or unusual jobs that you might have had along the way. Uh, we'll start with uh, we'll start with the weird first because it's probably the weirdest. Uh, I started working when I was 15 years old. I am half German and half Italian, so the German side of my family said, "If you want to go to the movies, you should get a job." And I really wanted to go to the movies, so out I went, got a job, and I got a job uh, as a 15 year old working for a cruise company, Holland America Cruise Lines up in Seattle, where I grew up. And uh, I say it's my weirdest job because I was kind of the airport sign guy. I wore this (laughs) Aladdin looking red vest, a really not good looking white Oxford shirt that I couldn't quite figure out how to wash because I was 15 and just couldn't figure it out. And why I say it's weird is because Saturdays and Sundays is embarkation day. So there's people flying from all over the world to Seattle. They want to go get their luggage. And then the luggage magically just shows up in the right. States, right? And it has to get there before they arrive. So they pick it up from the carousel and they give it to me. And I, again, I'm 15 years old. I'm not very tall as you can. You have no idea how tall I am. because <laughs> I'm not very tall. I was even shorter as a 15 year old. I was probably cracking like 4'11", uh, maybe, maybe five feet. <laughs> And I would get a couple thousand people's worth of luggage every Saturday and Sunday. And I call it a job because I had this, again, this Aladdin looking outfit going on in a binder with a printout, you know, that came out of like a laser jet printer that said Holland America cruise lines. And I could have been anybody. And that alone, that outfit got me everyone's luggage. Like I could still go to the airport in Fort Lauderdale, Miami, Seattle, Los Angeles, any of those big cruise terminal cities I could put that same outfit on and I could walk away with like 4,000 pieces of luggage. And it was just such an odd like experiment and like behavioral science of like, Oh, follow the 15 year old. And uh, (laughs) that's when I started working Uh, from there going to college. I really wanted to be a a sports journalist. I love sports. And um, my best friend's father asked me a question that really stuck with me as a 19 year old. So now I'm four years older. I'm much more wise. Worldly seasoned. I'm worldly. I've now <laughs> lived on three continents with, uh, as a 19 year old. And he said, how many hot dogs do you think you can eat in Modesto, California? Like how many days in a row do you think you can eat hot dogs for your main, you know, form of sustenance and food? And wow. Like, why, is, why is that? <laughs> you know, what, what are you talking about Modesto, California? What's going on here? And he said, because sports writers, you are going to live in Abilene, Texas, Modesto, California, Nowheresville, Wyoming. You're going to have a great time doing it, but you are going to survive on hot dogs for a good couple number of years before you actually get to upgrade to like a meal that comes on a plate because that's right. just the career path you're headed down. So he really challenged me as a 19 year old to think, do I just love sports or do I love it so much that I don't care if I wear the same thing? 300 days in a row and I eat hot dogs for breakfast, lunch, and dinner at the ballpark. Um, and I decided I really don't like hot dogs that much. So I'm going <laughs> to shift my thinking. And so I, I ended up you know, meeting with people who worked at advertising agencies and in marketing firms and PR firms. And I realized that they actually get paid a lot better than the sports writers, like a lot <laughs> better. 
and they get to stay in one place. They don't have to live out of their car. So that's like, I'm two for two right there. Right. Um, uh, and so I ended up going into advertising and marketing, um, got my first internship in Los Angeles out of, out of college, showed up before everybody got there, left after everyone had already left. Um, that was kind of instilled in me by my boss, who was also an older friend of mine who said, you really need to show up because right now you're kind of, it was pretty direct. You're kind of not that important. And that's a soft Thanks. way. Thanks. <laughs> Uh, so I, I showed up first, which meant I got all the assignments. I stayed late, which meant I got all the late assignments that came in after five, six, seven o'clock, um, which for a Los Angeles based ad agency, a seven o'clock email is like absurd. Like who would on earth would respond to that? But me, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> so first there, uh, last to leave, moved back to Seattle where I grew up and that's where I met my business partner. And we realized that well, we really love the ad agency that we worked at. And it's, it's a fantastic agency. They actually were acquired a few years ago uh, by a big international holding company. It wasn't the agency that we wanted. What we wanted was a metrics-driven performance marketing agency. And what that means in plain English is we wanted to work or run an agency that had this machine. And a client would put X amount of dollars on one side, and we were responsible for a greater number coming out of the other side of the machine. And while those were definitely out there, we, we weren't quite sure that we wanted to both jump ship and go to them. And so right. instead, out of our own pure ignorance, in my words, we started our own, which we had no idea how to start an ad agency. Um, and we're not even an ad agency. We really consider <laughs> ourselves more of a digital marketing agency uh, as opposed to a Don Draper-esque uh, ad agency. So that's, that was uh, actually 10 years ago on July 25th, we started. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. So we've managed to not go bankrupt. We've gotten close a few times, but close doesn't count. If we didn't make it, uh, we don't, we don't get the trophy for going bankrupt. And we are, as Eric mentioned, building a people first organization. And, and I would describe that as we're building an agency that we look at as being an infinite business. And I think of an infinite business as one that will outlive my useful and then my biological life. And hopefully in that order. Um, <laughs> but again, I don't control everything. So but what happens will happen. Yeah. Who's determining your useful life, Mike? That's the question. Really. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do, does it say people first on your shirt there? I kind of look at the bottom. I know. Of the yeah. Let me, uh, narrow this down a little bit. So yeah, that's actually our first value of our four values in the company is people first. Uh, we wanted to design an agency that didn't have you up at midnight, um, responding to emails and delivering client work. Um, you know, I got to go home really early when I lived in LA, maybe seven, eight, nine o'clock, but my business <laughs> partner, she grew up in the Northeast. And so she would be managing, you know, a $10 million account as a 24 year old. Uh, for a company like Kellogg's um, or General Mills wow. in Minneapolis. And she didn't really go home until midnight or one o'clock in the morning. And that was, that was her life for a long time. And that stuck with her. And we both wanted to focus on an agency that really valued its people and proved it, that we valued our people. Because um, ultimately, we're in the knowledge business, sure. right? If we don't have really good people, we, we cannot succeed. It's, it's literally not possible. Like, I, can't, I can't cut any corners to deliver our product if better if we don't have good people. Right. And, you know, we were just talking about, about trust as a, as an issue of remote managers, um, in this people first mindset, how do you, how do you build in that accountability so that people are taking care of their stuff and, and the work is getting done? How do you make sure that you're being transparent with one another? Yeah. So we do it a couple ways. Um, as you mentioned, when you introduced me, we started as a remote business and we've gotten people to cluster in certain cities just based on where we've hired. But we actually, for a company that has a little less than 20 people, we employ those 20 people in eight different states in the U.S. So, I mean, we're really spread out. We've got every time zone covered, including Mountain. Um, and so what we did is we had to build this agency as if we would never be in the same place at the same time, even though that's not always the case, we had to build it that way. 
And so what we did is, in, in my own words, we created a system of accountability that was very clear and had different systems or tripwires built into it. So, you know, we're a Scrum-based organization. Eric, you're probably familiar with Scrum. I'm sure other folks here are familiar yep. as well. We plan out each week on Friday morning for the week that follows. I love that. And so you got your sprint plan for the week. We sprint plan the whole week. It doesn't mean that things won't move around. They always sure. move around. But we at least know um, the number of points, we work in points instead of hours, mm -hmm. number yep. of points that each position can do in a given day. So we sprint that number of points and no more. And so that all goes into Asana. That's our project management system. And uh, I think we've used Asana almost to the point of breaking it. Um, <laughs> we, we do a lot of weird things in there that when we submit feature requests, um, yeah. That's <laughs> they're like, they're really, 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 Mike, <laughs> I think they, they have a filter for ours and they just send them elsewhere because they're like, eh, I don't know about these guys. <laughs> so within Asana, you can see the number of points that somebody has or doesn't have done per day. You can also see the tasks completed, not completed per day. That's visible to the whole team. So everybody can see that. Everyone can see it. Yeah, it, it's That's not cool. anybody. So if you're behind by Tuesday or Wednesday, we know that you're not just behind by Wednesday. We can tell that you're really behind and try and figure out what's going on, right? Did we not sprint this correctly? AKA, did we not think it was going to take as much effort and it really is taking more? That That's a management problem. Or are you just not getting done that which is expected of you to get done? Um, and each job in terms of service lines, each role at our company has a set number of points per day and week that we're, we're accustomed to completing. So. That's kind of the first, uh, what I would call accountability tripwire that we would go through. <laughs> I love that phrase, accountability tripwire. It sounds very menacing, but it I, I get your, <laughs> your point. Um, I, I love the notion of of transparency that everybody can can see what everybody's doing. We we actually go through an exercise to plan it up front. Do you guys do retros at the end of each week? Do you go back and look to see? Did we miss, you know, sizing this gig or did we, you know, load somebody up a little too heavy given the the dependencies in the chain of the workflow? Yeah, yeah, we actually do retros every Friday morning. Um, and retros are not just the work amount or volume, but it's also sure. what went well or what didn't. Um, yeah, so we love treat it. Like a true retrospective as in like, oh, we did it this way this week and that's different than normal and it worked better or it was atrocious and I never want to do it that way. And everyone should hear me scream from the mountaintops. I love that so much. We, uh, we, we teach content around what we call the six characteristics of high-performing teams. And one of those characteristics is learning. And the example that I use in making learning part of your process is the retrospective from Scrum. Um, so it's really awesome to hear a story about somebody using that in a non-software development application. That's that's awesome. Um, in talking about this people first idea and having this remote population, you guys did some DEI work this last year. Tell us about that because that was a surprisingly positive thing for you guys. Yeah, I, I'd love to tell. I think two stories or examples stand out, and and I'll frame it with: we had never done any diversity, equity, or inclusion work as, as a formal group before mm -hmm. this. And then, you know, the world goes into a global pandemic and we think, well, what better time than now? Like, what, what, are, we waiting, what are we waiting for? Like, let's just do all the most important things and let, let's start. Um, so the first thing that we did, um, which it, it surprised me in such a great way, was uh, we hired a woman by the name of Christina Williams. She runs a company called Unpacking, and they do all, of, all types of diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, training, both in person as well as over Zoom. And the purpose of talking to Christina, who's incredibly qualified, I mean, she's got so many letters and acronyms after her name <laughs> on LinkedIn. I, I'm not really even sure what they all mean, but very impressive. And she comes across as an impressive individual. Um, yeah, we, but does she have an Aladdin outfit and a sign? Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm sure for the right amount of money, she'd be <laughs> I'm not worried about that yet. <laughs> uh, so we, what we told her was, we've never done this as a group. And this is my business partner and I just being very honest and vulnerable and saying like, we have no idea how you're going to make this not suck. Like I, I can't put lipstick on this 
this bad feeling that we have of not only are we going to try and do something incredibly important for our organization, but we're going to try and do it remotely. And we're convinced it's going to completely suck. Um, and so she came to us with a bespoke program. She built it out even a little bit past her normal program to say, hey, let's go over the basics of what equity means. Let's go over the basics of you know, diversity and inclusion and um, how to support one another. And, and a lot of it was using, that's when Zoom had their breakout uh, sessions. That, that was kind of a new feature last spring. Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, so she used breakout sessions. So she used like every possible tool in, in her uh, toolbox to make it not suck, to make it interactive, to keep us moving, to keep it flowing, because we, we effectively did about five hours of Zoom meetings in one day, uh, which is a lot. It's a lot. So that was met with, uh, we did a survey afterwards, the entire staff. And besides a few nitpicky things that, to be honest, half of them included like internet speed in terms of I couldn't hear very well, which I, I cannot make your internet speed better, but right. conversation. Um, we, we heard awesome feedback from everyone. You know, they said she was the perfect person to do this. This was the right time. And it was the right time because the second story I'll tell, um, the week after George Floyd had a knee put on his neck and he died at the hands of a police officer in Minneapolis, it was a very odd week. Right. Remember, we're all remote. It's now the pandemic. So even in the cities where people are in the same city, they're not getting together. Right. But you could feel through like email, chat, you know, stand up meetings. It was just an it was an odd week. Like people were off and they were very our, our people were very affected by that event. Mm -hmm. And so what my business partner and I said, we kind of bumped our heads together and said, I think we need to talk about this this world event. Everyone's already talking about it. They're talking about it, whether or not we are sanctioning a discussion or not, not that they need our permission to do so, but like it's on everyone's minds. And so what we ended up doing, um, and I'm a member of a group called Entrepreneurs Organization or EO, which is purely a peer to peer organization and focused on experience sharing, no advice, just experience sharing. And the way that we keep an EO from giving advice is you share how you feel because your feelings belong to you. People can judge that. the feelings all they want, but they can't change sure. it. It's how you individually feel. Yeah, they can't argue with you about them either because you actually feel it. Yeah, like, this is how I feel. It doesn't matter what you think. Like, this is how I feel. And right. so two days before we told everyone we're having a meeting, we're, we're deleting all client meetings after this because it's going to be a little bit heavy, but it's critical that we have this discussion because we think it's really important. So two days before that, we sent out an email with kind of just some rules of the road. It's about feelings. You can show up, you can speak or not speak. You can be on camera, you cannot be on camera. We basically just gave everyone permission to show up as they wanted to show up. Sure. And then we sent an email, like it ended up being like a drip email campaign, you know. Then we do this uh, the day before, and then we showed up to the meeting, and it was the best meeting that this company has ever had in 10 years. Wow. Um, people showed up in a huge way, even the ones that didn't speak, you could tell everyone was there. Everyone supported our African-American uh, employees. Um, they supported everything about it. It just, it was so powerful. I don't think anybody wasn't either actively crying or have a tear in their eyes by the end of it. And it was something that I, I hope for the reason we had the meeting, we never have to have a meeting like that again, but it nice. brought everyone together in such a huge way. And it all started because Christina, gave us a lot of tools. And then I took a lot of tools to be the moderator. I took my business owner hat off, put it to the side and said, I'm just the moderator who's kind of moderating this session. And those two things were, were probably the best meetings that we had last spring. What happened culturally as a result of that experience, you know, that collective experience with the team? Uh, a few things happened uh, within the, the values system with, with our business, which is language that Christina taught us about. Um, mm -hmm. Culture is a little bit subjective in the way that she was instructing us. I know we use it a lot like cultures fit, but we tend to talk in values fit uh, here <laughs> at MKG. And a couple things happened. The first one was we actually set uh, priority uh, recruiting targets for women of color, well, women, I should say, people of color, 
um, or any, um, I would just describe it as an unincluded group of people in a marketing agency, which mm. historically marketing agencies have, here's a big blanket statement, but <laughs> they've been loaded with a lot of people that look like me and people like- We watched, we, we watched Mad Men, we know. Yeah, bunch, people, of, bunch of misogynistic white guys. That's all you marketing <laughs> people are. <laughs> uh, people like Coca-Cola show up to a group of folks who look just like me. And they say, we would love to reach, you know, like a Latinx population in South Los Angeles. And people like me don't hang out in that neighborhood. I didn't grow up like that. And my Spanish is pretty poor on a good day. So right. why on earth would I be hired to do that kind of work? Yet it happens every single day. So we said, we... We cannot change the whole industry, but we we can control our company. And so we set actual hiring and recruiting targets um, that we've been watching really closely. The other thing we've done is within service lines, we're rolling it out this year, we're creating service line champions and we taking in gender um, or race out of the conversation. We went out of our way to speak to the more quiet introverted folks at the company who might not speak up so loud on a Zoom meeting saying, I would love to be the team champion this quarter or this year. And we really went out of our way to say like, hey, this is something that you could do. Like, are you interested in this? Or are we just totally pumping your tires in a way that you don't want that to happen? Um, so those are two things just immediately that came out that we feel are really important that folks who don't use a loud voice are given a loud voice and are given a lot more space to express themselves um, and then setting hiring and recruiting targets. So do, speaking of hiring and recruiting, you know, just this notion of, of bringing talent into the organization in a remote or hybrid type of, of space, are there any sort of special things that you do in your recruiting process, knowing that your folks are going to be remote um, and do you ever get to the point where you think, all right, we've been trying to fill this gig for a little while now. Maybe we should just find a vendor. We should do, we, we should, we should buy it versus making it ourselves. Yeah. So in terms of recruiting, there's, there's a lot of tricks that are uh, tricks, little tactics that our team uses um, on the recruiting process. One easy one is like in LinkedIn, when we're looking people up, do they speak any other languages? Right. You forget that people fill that out. Like, you know, we hired um, Eddie Castillo. He's awesome. He started with us on March 2nd or 3rd. I forget. Um, I didn't even remember that it said on his LinkedIn profile that he speaks Spanish. I mean, he grew up speaking Spanish and now he's got a client that actually runs a lot of paid media in Spanish. And while he's not doing the translations because he doesn't have like sure. an MBA in business Spanish, he can look at it and say like, well, I'm a native Spanish speaker. This is right. This is off. This is this is not going to work. Um, so there's little recruiting like tactics you can use to try and figure out. Um, you know, organizations also work. Anything you can really filter in LinkedIn, you can create those filters to look for folks with certain expertise. Um, you know, women in tech marketing, cybersecurity marketing professionals, like that kind of stuff. Um, and then you had asked a question, Eric, about builder buy. Is that what I heard? Yeah, you know, because I, I, I think a lot of us are, as, as the hybrid thing sort of settles in, we're worried about, we're worried about turnover of employees, right? Worried about folks leaving and not being able to backfill those spots. And if that's the case, when, when, you know, when we make the choice, how do we make that choice to pull the ripcord and engage, engage a firm rather than trying to find an employee? Yeah, you know, I... I'd like to tell a story about something we're actually going through right now because um, we're going Perfect. through this, this process uh, as we speak. We don't have a full-time HR person at MKG Marketing. What? No yeah. HR? It's, it's, uh, it's a little bit running back by committee. My business partner um, heads up HR. Our managing director is involved in all the uh, you know, employee development in terms of professional development, hiring, terminations, and then our executive assistant catches all kinds of things that we need her to catch. Um, right. But there isn't one person. And so we actually started going down this road earlier this year because looking at our growth plans, you know, our growth plan is to bring people first to triple the number of people 
in the next, I think it's five years, if I'm remembering the timeline, right? And so that means we are going to need a human resources or a people operations um, leader. And so we, we looked at outsourcing, you know, we interviewed a, a few PEOs, one was up in Toronto, one was in Cleveland or Milwaukee or some such state. Um, you know, we kind of got an idea for their business model and how we could literally just offload this responsibility, which as a business owner, sounded incredibly yeah. attractive. <laughs> like, cool. Like if I hire someone in Canada, I don't have to worry about that. That's the PEO's problem. Like that's, right. that's not my problem. Um, and then we started talking to, um, HR folks, you know, people in HR background, I actually put out a call on LinkedIn and said, does anyone know any really sharp HR people who are not ready for a full-time job because I, I believe right now a full-time HR person would be bored out of his or her mind at our company. Like there's just not enough going on for them um, yet. Hopefully that'll change. Um, right. And I got this great response and we ended up talking to this. Um, I'll keep their, their name private. We'll call them Erica. And uh, Erica hails from a place that rhymes with Schmorlando, if you can figure oh, out what that is. I yeah. love Schmorlando. Yeah, great in the winter. <laughs> let me tell you, great in the winter, Schmorlando. Uh, and Erica was exactly the type of person we were looking for. Erica wanted to come back into the workforce. Erica had been out of the workforce by choice for a while, first because of raising a family and then because Erica just didn't want to come back right away. Um, and Erica had worked at a company where she was higher number like 20 or 30. And when she left, they were in the thousands in terms of you know total headcount. So she totally. saw how she survived all that growth. I honestly don't even know. Like it's, it's mind boggling to me. But the more we talked to Erica, the more we realized we for our stage of growth right now and where we want to go in the next five to 10 years, we could not outsource the people operations. It was just too important for us. And I, I don't want to say that outsourcing it is the wrong thing to do for everybody, but for us, you know, Carrie, my business partner, her and I looked at each other and we said, I just don't think we can do this P like take the money out of it, which they're going to cost sure. a lot. Um, take the money out of it. I don't think they are going to, bring that real like people first vibe and value system into every single interview and every single interaction as we hire or fire. And that, that for us just wasn't an acceptable risk to take. And so uh, we're excited uh, as soon as we can carve out the budget to get Erica from Schmorlando working <laughs> with us on a contract basis. And then Erica, we, we've been pretty clear with her that we intend to make that more of a permanent thing and, and, I think we're, we've just kind of found the right person. And even if it's not Erica, um, right. I'm sure that we can find another person like her out there that wants to kind of start small and get going. And uh, again, like I said, I just, we weren't fully confident that we could get that out of a PEO or some sort of third party vendor payroll system or whatever. And because of, we couldn't feel that guarantee, we decided that the outsourcing thing just wasn't going to work for us right now. Yeah. So um, given that you're all remote, uh, Schmorlando wasn't a stretch for you. That wasn't a big deal. You're like, oh, she's in Schmorlando. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> no, not a big deal. I mean, we've, we've already got an employee in the state of Florida. So um, we're now a little, we're open to anybody from any state, but we're, we're trying to stick with folks in the eight states we already are because it's a real pain in the backside to have to register with all these new states and establish right. Nexus or don't establish. I know more about Nexus than I am proud to know. Ever wanted to. <laughs> I know. I'm like, if we hit double digits on our Nexus responsibilities, I'm going to freak out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Mike, being a, an all remote company from the beginning, what, what advice would you have for folks who are now settling into remote as, as kind of new, you know, as, as a, an ongoing concern, post pandemic, right? If this is going to be part of how we work forever, what advice would you give to folks who, for, for whom this is, this is a new thing on the forever timeline? Yeah. We talked about transparency and those accountability systems and tripwires earlier. I, I won't repeat that, but I'll just say that what I said earlier, <laughs> find that for your business. Um, the second thing that I'll add on top of that, that took us years to learn, and this doesn't this is really a reflection of Carrie, my business partner, and I maturing as business owners. Um, 
we used to wait way too long on things. We used to wait too long when we had issues. We thought that it could maybe get better. It almost never gets better. Um, in fact, it usually gets worse. Um, yeah. At a rapid clip, it gets worse. And so what I would say is all that accountability stuff paired with um, short timelines. So at MKG, every new employee starts on a 90-day trial. Um, so in 90 days, by day 80 or so, we know if we're going to extend them a full-time offer or not. Um, if an employee is already working here and they're having and if having any kind of issues, it's it's not a um, get better or get fired plan, but we use oh. different systems such as uh, like a milestone tracker. So we can say, we need you to get better at these two things. And we as the company need to get better at this one thing. So let's create a milestone tracker. We'll each update it once a week. And we just use it as a stoplight, you know, red, yellow, green. Red means you didn't have a great week. Yellow means... Eh, kind of in the middle and green means did great at this specific thing. And those milestone trackers will, will put a time box on those. So 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. And we're, we're looking for progress in that, in that time box. Uh, and, and it's a very visual thing, right? If you start red and you never get out of red, you know, at, at that point, an employee in our experience has usually started to look for a job. Yeah. Um, we're, still, we're still willing to work with them, but we're kind of coming to them and being like, Hey, you're grading yourself red. We're grading you red. Right. So this is not working yet. <laughs> I, I love that, that visibility piece, right? I've, I've worked in my HR career and with clients with a lot of managers who are trying to deal with performance issues and they do it soft and they do it with generalizations and they wonder why they're still having the same issue six months later. Yeah. And, you know, with remote, you can't quite see, like in your example, the young software engineer showed up and you could physically see him come to work. Right. Um, I know for a fact, because one of our employees works 10 to 6 PM because they just don't function very well in the morning and they happen to be <laughs> on the East coast. It actually works really well for them because they're ahead of a lot of their clients. Um, but they told me one time, like when I first started working here, I used to go into Slack at like nine and I would oftentimes be in bed and I'd be like here because right. I felt that responsibility of like, oh, I need to show that I'm here. If I write here on Slack, then I'm here. Yeah. And I was like, well, what do you normally do after you say here? And they were like, I usually go back to sleep for 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, I mean, you can keep doing it if you want, but your contract clearly says 10 to six Eastern standard time, period. Like if you feel the need to say here at nine, go for it, but you actually don't need to do that. Yeah. Like, you can de-stress yourself a little. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, my partner is always like asking me why I'm doing this or that or the other thing. And like, you just, okay. I mean, you keep doing here if you want, but you actually don't need to do that. <laughs> right. Oh, that's funny. Mike, if, if we could all do one thing to improve our lives in this crazy, ever-changing complex time, um, what would you suggest? How could we show up differently? I really thought about this question when you sent it to me. And I think something that I've been doing a lot more in the past few years and that accelerated coming out or in the pandemic, um, which arguably we're still in a global pandemic, um, is read deep work. So what do you mean? I, what do you mean by deep work? Deep work meaning like things without pictures, things that don't come on social media, um, <laughs> things that might require you to read them more than once, like a book like this, that's actually kind of, this is like an inch thick. Um, hey, Keith Ferrazzi, he wrote the foreword to our first book. Yeah. Cultivate. Yeah, yeah, he wrote the foreword. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the deep work that I'm reading right now is actually a lot of uh, a lot of thoughts around like Stoic philosophy. So like Marcus Aurelius, you know, the, the famous Roman emperor who most people know from Gladiator because Joaquin right. played him. Um, you know, Marcus Aurelius became the emperor of the Roman Empire, which was at the time the, the biggest empire on earth. Um, inherited a bunch of wars where they were getting their asses kicked uh, and they weren't doing well on the war front. And there was the Antonine Plague. So five oh, to 10 that, million people. That killed died. some people. Yeah, killed about five to 10 million people by, by rough estimates. So 
um, you know, the stoic philosophy, I wasn't really into philosophy. I took a class in college. I didn't do well on it because I didn't like being forced to read, but the concept of stoicism and, you know, being brutally honest and accepting that which is in front of you and then making decisions to move forward while at the same time, not completely ignoring your feelings that I would consider that like a pretty deep conversation. It's not something that you're just going to read and then, you know, be like, all right, I'm going to go get a McFlurry now. Um, <laughs> it usually kind of needs, you need to take a few minutes to come down off that for good reason. And so, you know, that idea of something that is deep, that makes you think that you don't have to agree with, but it makes you really think has been so helpful for me um, getting into the stories of like, again, Marcus Aurelius, you know, James Stockdale, who was, uh, you know, the, the highest ranking prisoner of war in the Vietnam War. Um, he's a big stoic. Um, and a guy like Epictetus, who um, started his life as a slave, became a famous philosopher in the Roman Empire who guided the emperor and then was actually banished from the Kicked Roman Empire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, Domitian was like, no, I'm good with you. Like, you can just go away forever. You're not allowed here anymore. <laughs> And so hearing about those stories and how just what they were thinking um, is really powerful stuff. And you, you don't have to go back thousands of years to find something powerful or deep. I'm, I'm sure that in your lives, you can look at, you know, the modern day deep writers of like Brene Brown or other folks that really make you think. Um, I, I enjoy that. And I encourage other people to read because uh, like John Wooden says, once you're done learning, you're through. And reading is a great way to, to learn. And I'm even trying to get my younger nieces and nephews to learn or to read more. It's really hard with the 13 and 12 year olds because reading's not cool. But um, <laughs> I'm doing a lot of different things to try and get them to read books. <laughs> like, yeah, like not Snapchat. I get it. Oh, yeah. I've, I, I've got I've got 20 and 17 and it, yeah, it's the same. It's yeah. the same. <laughs> Um, I, I love that you that you poked at Stoic philosophy. Um, it, it's it's funny. Um, I stumbled on, you know, is in my uh, recommended, you should buy this book because you've bought these books on Amazon. So a little of the Amazon AI pointing me that way. Um, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. And I, I picked that up and I, I loved it so much. I couldn't, I couldn't always be reading because um, I have to be moving around. So I got the audible as well. So now I kind of bounce between, between reading it and listening when I'm at the gym or on a walk or something. Um, yeah. I, I love the, the, the way that, you know, you kind of, you kind of read or hear a passage and then you think about that thing and how that relates to what's going on in, in, you know, the world today in general or in your life in specific. And I, I think it's that reflectivity that we, in the go, 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 that has been COVID life at work, we go from meeting to meeting, to meeting, to meeting, and they're very tactical and they're very sort of tick the box meetings. We don't have a lot of that deep thinking time and and this notion of, of reading deep works to, to your point you can't just bounce to a mcflurry you've got to you've <laughs> got to think about it because it it probably will hit you i know that you know ruby ruby's reading a lot of brene brown laurie and ruby both right now and you know we love brene here at sky team and every time you read anything of hers you you can't make it through the whole chapter right you read a story or a point and it hits you in some way and you stop and you think about it and actually you usually it, say things like whoa <laughs> like, like out well, loud yes that yeah routine <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's i really like the deep thinking and, and you're right with meditations and marcus aurelius i'm a bit of a speed reader like i read a lot of spy novels for fun and my wife is always like my god you're done with another one um <laughs> but you know i could read maybe a page of meditations and then I would have to stop. So I'm like, I, I can't, I can't read this any longer. Like this is, right. this is too, like my brain was actually overloaded. So that might've been a little too deep. You gotta, you gotta wade <laughs> into that pool. <laughs> <laughs> but deep work, highly recommended. Awesome. Well guys, do you have any questions for Mike? What questions do you have for Mike and his remote leading journey? I was gonna say, how'd you get to New Orleans? Nolans. <laughs> I I, uh, <laughs> I married a woman from Louisiana, which is one of two ways you get to New Orleans. Uh, you either went to school here and you forgot to leave, or you married a woman from here or a man, <laughs> and uh, you got brought here. 
So I, uh, I did enjoy, you know, I lived in San Francisco before New Orleans. Um, and I love visiting New Orleans every single time we come to see her family. And there's just so much flavor and grit under your fingernails. And it's, it's a really special city. There's a lot wrong with the city, but um, there's a lot that's really special too. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So you're what we in the talent acquisition business refer to as the trailing spouse. <laughs> I didn't know how to uh, name. Uh, that's pretty cool. I'll have to tell my wife that. Yeah. <laughs> I have a quick question. Um, just thinking about, we've been thinking a lot about leading change, right? Um, especially this past year, of course. Is there anything special that you you think you all do from a leading change perspective in your remote environment? Yeah, Ooh, change management in an organization is. Those are ugly words. Uh, nobody but the <laughs> leadership seems to like change management. <laughs> um, you know, off the top of my head, one thing that we try to do is we try to tell people what's going to happen in bits and pieces slowly. So instead of just showing up and dropping uh, what our account team used to call bombs, when we were a little less communicative with our account leadership team, we would just show up to these all hands meetings and drop bombs on the whole company um, that would surprise everyone and get a lot of like one-on-one DM chatter going on Slack of like, what the heck are these people doing with this company? And we've learned that even again, we're just under 20 people. Um, we're a small company, but we attempt to lead a lot of those uh, change announcements. So we lead them through, like we send out a, a weekly email on Mondays of what's going on with the priorities at the company. My business partner sends a Wednesday video of just kind of what's going on with the company. They're not always the same. They're obviously they're usually different. And then we have retrospective on Fridays. So there's written, there's, you know, asynchronous video and audio, and then there's a live meeting at the end of the week. And then we do quarterly all hands. So in terms of leading change, we attempt to, um, lead it as many times as possible and kind of almost like strategically leak it through the company because we know they're going to talk about it anyways. Um, the other thing that we did, and I know Eric, we're kind of running on time here. Um, I'll but go. I'll just share this example is, um, we did meetings earlier this year, uh, and we called them bulldozer meetings. And we asked two questions. We asked number one, what do you do that absolutely you know, charges you up. Like if you did this all day, you would basically be like Wonder Woman or Iron Man or whatever. And then the second question was, what do you do that are energy vampires? doesn't mean you're not good at it, but you completed that assignment or task. And all of a sudden you're just like, I feel like I ran a marathon. Like I feel awful. (laughs) It might've only been a task, but you still feel like you're just vampired straight out, you know, all your energy. And so when we do uh, those kind of things, like instead of just asking everyone, like in a group setting, what we did was we gave it to them in writing. So they wrote their answers. And then we had an hour long meeting with everybody, which as a 20 person company, we have the luxury of doing um, Mm -hmm. because we're small. Um, An hour long meeting with every single person to go over their answers. And nobody showed up in the hour long meeting and didn't add something new that they didn't write because they didn't think about it or they weren't pressed, you know, to really go into it. And so in terms of change management, we took everything out of there. We aggregated the kind of aggregated and ranked what we wanted to tackle as a company. And then we shared that with everybody so they could actually see, it might not have been in their own words, but they'd be like, Oh, like Eric and Ruby also kind of had that problem. They said it differently, but we're all talking about the same thing. And I can now see a bit of like, even though we're a service company, almost like a product roadmap of when are we going to get to things like this? Those things, yeah. And um, it was a really interesting exercise to go through. And I, I hope as we grow, we can continue, keep doing things like that. I, it, it, was, it was tough. Like that was our Q1 rock was to have all the interview meetings. And it went to the very last day of March to get it done. <laughs> so. I love it. Yeah. I, lo- I love it. I, I think... Uh, Mike, you just actually paid the cover charge uh, to the bartender for with bulldozer meetings, man. That's that's a powerful little statement and uh, a little uh, component um, that I'm going to I'm going to steal. I'm I'm sorry, buddy. I'm going to steal that unabashedly. (laughs) Um, I I think that's a really fantastic concept. The the sort of getting to the nitty gritty of, of what are you passionate about? 
and what's bleeding you dry right now. Um, and especially in small organizations, you know, we, we collect duties as the organization grows and sometimes we don't ever let them go. And whether that's, that's our choice because we don't think, we don't think anybody else could do it as, as good as we do or the way that we do, or that we feel that, well, Mike loves that I do this and he would be disappointed in me if I stopped doing this. And if I told him I wanted to punt this, um, so giving folks a venue to talk about what lights them up and what they might be able to offload at some point in time. I think that's a fantastic tool. So thank you guys. Thanks Mike for sharing. And yeah. thanks for, thanks for being here with us today. Let's give him a big, big ups for being here today. Thanks Mike. <laughs> I love it. Get the little Johnny Carson bow at the end. It's perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, you're welcome to hang out here for the next couple of minutes, Mike, we're going to do uh, what we call funny things, good feels and our, uh, semi-quarantine cocktail. So today's funny things, some tweets collected that you might have missed. Funny funny thing number one, what's the dumbest belief you had as a child? Well, when I was four or five, I swore that bird seeds grew birds, thus the name. <laughs> when my parents asked me to prove it, I planted a pile of bird seeds. The next day, there were loads of birds where I planted the seeds, showing I was right. <laughs> But I think number two, uh, this is for anybody who watched uh, the, the Euro 2020 this week. I asked my dad who he's rooting for, and he responded, everything bad that's ever happened in the world is because of England without looking up. <laughs> so I imagine he was Forza Italia. Uh, a couple of HR ones. This one just made me laugh. Well, I guess one dude quit. It's now four guys. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a fast paced environment means the job is actually three to five jobs. <laughs> <laughs> How about this one? Employers, we can't find anyone to work with this. Americans, will you pay us more? Employers, no. Also, write us a custom letter about why working for us would be your life's passion. <laughs> uh, and it wouldn't be the bartender without a slightly dirty one. This oh boy. is my favorite funny thing of the day. We went with almond milk because nut juice sounded all sorts of wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> oh boy. Yep. That's for you, Laurel. That is definitely <laughs> for you. Uh, today's, today's good feel story is about a girl from Wheeling, Illinois, who helps people celebrate their birthdays. And I'm going to show you guys a quick, like, minute and a half video because it's adorable. It's just adorable. adorable. It's adorable. Um, let me make sure I have my loop back open in case my browser sound is turned off because I would like you to be able to hear her because her voice is just even more adorable. All right, you guys ready? Let's play this video. So let me know if you can't hear it. COVID has been really hard and lots of people have lost their jobs and they haven't celebrated their birthday in a long time. <laughs> Six-year-old Maya Schaub from Wheeling, Illinois created birthday boxes to make sure no birthday is left uncelebrated. It's a box that is stuffed a cake mix and evaporated milk and stuff to make cake and it even has bir a birthday card, a burrito card, and a target card. hey, I'm thinking about my birthday cake, but there's a lot of kids out there who maybe don't have one for their birthday. What can we do? So it kind of snowballed from there. She decided she wanted to do a box with a cake mix, and then we reached out to some local businesses to see if they wanted to get involved. I just thought of it because COVID struck a lot like a year ago. So I thought we could do it this year and it would um, bring a smile to people's faces. So the boxes are going to the Wheeling Township Food Pantry. We 
just made the first delivery for the seven boxes and because of the support that we've gotten we're hoping to also do July and August as well. If someone's nice then it will spread around the whole world and the whole world will be filled with kindness and it will be great. How sweet. <laughs> oh my Isn't that goodness. awesome? <laughs> so good. <laughs> Oh, I love that one. It's, her voice just made me just made me happy. Nearly three years since Molly Oh dear! Hold on. Was killed while jogging. We don't need to know about that. Oh no! Oh no! Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> nice work, Eric. Nice work on crushing the feel-good vibe. Just crushing it. Yeah. Whoops. Uh, whoops. <laughs> On that note, today's semi queen quarantine cocktail is the high school party. It's a riff on going to high school with me because I've been really busy this week. You got some you got some Boone's Farm up there, a little Mad Dog 2020, Night Train Thunderbird, Wild Irish Rose, and a new entry that I wasn't aware of, Cisco, which sounds hot. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, guys, thank you so much. Wednesdays are my favorite days, and you guys are my favorite people. Mike, thanks again. Another big ups for Mike for being here today. You guys are awesome. We will see you next week. Mike, I'll make sure to get links in on the show notes to, to all the things we talked about, to your business, to Christina Williams. Thank you again for being here. Guys, we'll see you next week. Have a good night. Bye, y'all. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you had a good time and learned a thing or two at today's happy hour, please share it with your friends. If you want to join our tribe, head on over to skyteam.cloud forward slash TCB or email us at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again. And remember, you've always got friends at the Corporate Bartender. <laughs>